You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. My name is Matthew Baker, and I have been performing at the Moisture Festival for over 10 years. Over a decade. I've seen some amazing shows. Did you get a pin? I do have a pin. <laughs> I got a Godfrey Daniels doll. Uh-huh. I got a little duffel tote bag that I take to Trader Joe's and get my groceries and promote it that way. <laughs> and the man across the way, who I'm not quite sure has a pin or not, is Louis Fox. <laughs> I do have a pin, actually. I have a Godfrey Daniels pin, and I've got a New Orleans pin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a comedy magician. You can see me hosting shows at the Moisture Festival, doing my hand shadow puppets. And welcome to the podcast where we talk about all things Moisture Festival. And if you don't know what the Moisture Festival is, it is one of the largest variety arts festivals in the world. Not just one of, it is the largest variety the arts festival. The capital T-H-E. Yeah, and it is, lasts for four weeks in Seattle in the months of March and April. If you're listening to this during the festival, be sure to buy tickets now because 95% of shows sell out. And you can get tickets to shows at all the venues, including the the burlesque venue that runs one week and you can get those at the website moisturefestival.org in this episode we talk to leaping louis lichtenstein that's right you've seen him at the moisture festival he is the world's only lithuanian jewish cowboy yeah and we recorded this on location in portland oregon we hit the road to record some cool interviews down there and we talked to him about Growing up in Oregon, what it's like to be a cowboy performing in Europe. Yep. We talked to him about weird sea slugs <laughs> and his life in the Amazon with his son studying spiders. It's a really great interview with a Moisture Festival veteran. Let's get to the episode. Boom. We've been in Portland all day interviewing people, and we saved one of my favorite people for last, a man who's been performing for 25 years all over the world. He's been to 34 different countries. He can speak eight different languages or do his show in eight different languages. We have Leapin Louis Lichtenstein. Yeehaw. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Moisture <laughs> Festival podcast. This is weird. This is the first time I've ever had two but, Louis in oh. the same place. We're not doing those jokes. No, We've no, done them not. too many times. Oh, have you? Oh, yes. Okay. Right. Now, you are from my hometown of Eugene. You went to the rival high school of mine. And I'm doing a show in North Eugene. Are you really? Yeah. That was my month. high school. Yeah. <laughs> when are you doing it? Uh, in a month. Oh, can you let me know? Because I'd like to. I would love to come down <laughs> and see this happen. A you could for you. say that the Moisture Festival comes from outside of Eugene. Yes, true. yes, yes. That's something we've learned doing this well, podcast. Well, because Louis's never been to the Oregon Country Fair. Yeah, and but he's learning a lot about it <laughs> by interviewing all these Moisture Festival performers. He yeah. become lately. <laughs> <laughs> now, how would you describe your act to someone who's never seen it? I'm a, a cowboy clown. 
Okay. Like, yeah, I do cowboy tricks and comedy. I'm a juggler too, right? Everybody in Portland's well, juggling. Well, you have, I think your base foundation you have juggling, but you, your show is mostly cowboy tricks and silly antics. Rope tricks and yeah. tricks and silly antics and, and where jokes. And where did the cowboy tricks come from? Because Eugene is not a very cowboy-driven no, town. No, <laughs> and I did not grow up cowboy. <laughs> but I did have a grandma who was a bit of a cowboy, and, and, she, and she taught me trick roping when I was a kid a little bit. And then it wasn't until I met the hippie jugglers later on that I really started taken off with yeah. practicing it yeah this louis does uh, do some rope tricks do and some whipping too yeah. this is crazy <laughs> it's, it's a twofer <laughs> so your grandma got you into cowboy stuff or my grandma made a living for 30 plus years collecting pine cones and dried materials from trees and shipping them all over the country to florists and other places oh and she lived on a ranch Outside of Bellevue, where she was, is now very valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, had this huge warehouse where she dried pine cones and materials from trees and shipped them off. And then she dabbled in trick roping. <laughs> yeah. How do you think she picked up the pine cones? <laughs> lasso. That's how she gets them off the tree. Now, when, when you see your grandma doing this, I would imagine, since it's in your family, you don't think it's unusual of a job. Or did you at the time be like, that's a little weird, Granny? Uh, it's weird collecting pine cones for your living or, <laughs> or spinning rope and telling jokes are both weird. Yeah. I think I recognized that early enough, actually. Gotcha. And yeah. did you go to school or was this, did you find this early on in your life and was like, this is it for me? No, it was later on. I had normal jobs. Like what? Uh, normal bat. I was a tree planner. Okay. Worked in restaurants. Tree wow. plants. Keeping in the family business. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I plant. You plant the trees. Your grandma. It's quite a- Harvest them. <laughs> when did you start sort of either juggling or during learning lasso or whip tricks? Like when was this? A- Are you guys too young to have learned on the street? Or maybe you were too talented. I le- Yeah, I, I busted my chops on the street. I learned. Yeah. I learned on the street. Yeah. So. No, but I, I would, I would like, do shows outside of Taylor's Bar, and I wasn't even 21, but I'd wait till the band break and then do it outside, and then went down to San Francisco a couple of times, found out the real street performer's mecca, but I had always heard Europe was the place, too, mm-hmm. from Waldo. So, a, a Waldo from Waldo and Woodhead. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. for there was like three years where I was like trying to make a living doing the but still had jobs, you know. And then when I started to make a living street performing in San Francisco, I moved right away to Paris. And then I lived in Paris for two and a half years. Gotcha. And traveled all over Europe. Because you, you knew that you made it in San Francisco. You're like, I can, I can do this. I'm going to go yeah. to another country that doesn't speak my language. <laughs> and and, and we'll, we'll embrace my cowboy culture. Well, I'm gonna Once be, I finally made, now made that it, I, have, I moved away. Now that I have finally have a show that works, I'm going to go somewhere where that show doesn't work anymore <laughs> and like struggle and fail again. I mean, you still... <laughs> you still work internationally a lot. Yeah. Because you're involved with, with Clowns Without Borders and then you, I think you just got back from Dubai recently. I have paying gigs in Europe most most years and I... I go to Australia and New Zealand occasionally, and I like to go to South America, Mexico, even get paying ones down there sometimes. And then the Clowns Without Borders, yeah, that's a volunteer gig where we uh, volunteer to go out and do shows in crisis zones. Do you, like, wait till a zone is in crisis and then go, or are you just, like, Serbia every year? Well, yeah. Yeah, um, how do you pick those places that are... 
I'm not doing that anymore. That's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's a combination of the places are that are most in need and the accidents of where we find good support mm -hmm. uh, to support us there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I recall hearing like Clowns Without Burgers was the first U.S. aid group in Haiti after the er earthquake. Or wasn't there something? I was there. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't there something like that? that... We were the first non-emergency type aid group. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I was there shortly after earthquake and that was a very intense project. And if people don't know what Clowns Without Borders is, can you explain it just a little bit? Clowns Without Borders sends professional performers on a volunteer basis to crisis zones, war zones, refugee camps all over the world. Yeah, you said that before. Yeah, <laughs> I still say it badly though. Because... No, yeah. it's pretty pretty amazing work, and you know a lot of really talented people go over there and donate their time to engage with communities that are having a hard time, and it's pretty magical stuff from the videos and pictures I've seen you post. Yeah, yeah you should uh, sign up online and then you'll get those availability requests. I, I do get them. I you got one yesterday. Yeah, okay, okay. Was Good. it yesterday or today? Yeah, yeah, for three projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Palestine, uh, Colombia, and uh, Mexico. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you do fundraisers throughout the year. In, we in just Portland? do one a year in Portland, okay. but this is the 21st annual. The okay. first one was in my living room. Ah. That's amazing. And it's yeah. grown into a, quite a big production. It's this this yeah. year and the blaster was at the Albert Rose Theater. And if you want to support, you can go to clownswithoutborders.com. Right? And the, the lazy yeah. man's way of supporting is you can donate through Amazon Smile. Yeah, I... I think like point oh 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 one seven percent goes to smile if you clownswithoutborders.org. Right. That's the place. That's yeah. the place. That yeah. pays for the plane ticket printing fee for Spirit yeah. Airlines. Yeah. If yeah. you if you buy twenty three big screen TVs on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that spirit nonstop to the Northern Kenyan refugee camp. <laughs> yeah. So uh, going back, so you grew up in Eugene, you're doing street performing, you went to Europe. And did you, is that where you learned French? Is that where you started dabbling in language and realizing like, hey, people really respond to this American cowboy uh, show? Uh, yeah. So I loved learning languages. I loved traveling. So I would go to Spain and I had Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in Spanish, right? And I'm studying, studying Spanish. The book. With it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, when the kids first show up at the factory, Willy Wonka has all, all these over-politenesses. Why, my dear sir, I am ravished and delighted to have you here. And I just copied those down, uh, learned them, oh, put them right in the show. Wow. Did the same thing with asterisks and obelixes, if you know those. You can no. buy those in train stations everywhere in Europe. It's just a old French comic book that's translated into every language. Uh. So Did I you ever have people watch your show and be like, that sounds a lot like Willy Wonka? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think too much translation going on. <laughs> that yeah. cowboy loves <laughs> People in Europe were starting to respond to it. You're touring around. How long did you spend over there? Or was it just back and forth for... I've lived there twice for two and a half years each. So that young solo street performer and then later with my family, with my wife and small oh, children. Oh, wow. Yeah, we had a camping van then, and we traveled all. How over was that up. conversation when you're like, you know, let's let's move over for two years and live in a van, travel around? Was that like that I... was the plan? I always want to kind of move back 
because Europe is like full of moisture festivals. Yeah. It's even full of paying moisture festivals. Yeah. So there's a huge scene. It's the center of the world for variety, comedy, mm -hmm. and circus. All the South Americans are there. South Americans are really good. The Australians are there. The Kiwis, even some of the best Americans are there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I wanted to go back. And so we said, well, I kind of talked her into it. And you're like, come on, we'll, we'll move back. Because we owned a house in Portland, you know. Yeah. We'll move back when James goes to first grade. You know, while they're small and we're free, let's do it. And that's yeah. what we did. We came back in time for James Dender, first grade. Oh, wow. So the kid sort of grew up a little bit, like in a van, traveling around. Yeah, they were fluent in Dutch, lost oh. it, fluent in French, lost it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. They're the ones translating for you. <laughs> so you, you traveled around, you cut your teeth, street performing, you've been everywhere. You're now at the Moisture Festival. What Were you at the very first Moisture Festival? No, I don't know when I started. I didn't do my research. <laughs> but not the first one, I don't think. Gotcha. Yeah. Because so, you've been there. I mean, I, I've been I, at a lot of them. Yeah. There's such a thriving sort of variety arts scene here in Portland. I know you, for a while, you were working on sort of trying a Moisture Fest esque show here the Umbrella the Festival. Umbrella Festival. Yeah. So we produced an Umbrella Festival, and actually, my model. I want to do the Moisture Festival, except have the acts play a little bit longer, have a little bit less acts per night, and pay them better. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't pay that much better because ran into reality. <laughs> what, is, uh, what is the reality? What's that? Well, you have to have major financing if you're just going on ticket sales. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't add up. Well, and I think the difference is when the Moisture Festival started, it started as this thing that was small and kind of a ragtag thing where you're you were trying to start something to almost where the moisture festival is now like uh, you weren't starting in a tent in a parking lot no but we weren't going to moisture festival size either we were yeah. we were doing two weekends in a theater mm -hmm. uh, yeah so we were in between and we were the moisture festival was very supportive so all our national acts were people were coming into the moisture festival and then we buy them a bolt bus ticket, right? Uh. <laughs> and they're in Portland. Yeah, yeah. And, and they were totally supportive of that. Well, so. and that's great, too. I mean, if I'm a performer and I'm coming out from the far reaches yeah, of the Yeah, and we need, we need to do it again. I've been wanting to do it again, but, you know, it's just what huge... I need, 10 more hours of computer time yeah. for a yeah. nine-month well, year. it's huge you know. an endeavor yeah. just for I – mean, <laughs> I hope you had – did you have a team of people that was working with you on it? or was Well, it... it's me and Noah. Okay. And uh, Noah's a totally efficient producer and a – very difficult person to be a partner with. <laughs> He's always the boss. But I learned a lot from him. I didn't even know how to use Google Docs well before I started that. Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. So you learned yeah. basic computer skills. Yeah. Thanks, Those those, those, millennial, those millennials. <laughs> They're good for something. <laughs> now, when you're not doing your act at places like the Moisture Festival, what sort of venues do you perform in? I don't excel in anything. I'm a man of trying everywhere. So like you guys, I do some county fairs. I do a lot of small town art festivals. I still do the international street theater festival scene, going mm -hmm. to Europe or Australia occasionally. But then you do quirky gigs like the White Album Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Well, fun thing we have in Portland is we actually self-produce a lot of stuff. So White Album Christmas is self-produced, kind of like Moisture Festival. And what, what is the White Album Christmas? 
we have a stage left. We have a giant all-star band playing the Beatles' White Album in album order. Stage right, you have circus and comedy with all those songs. Wow. 29 songs. And you do this every year, or do you switch up the Beatles' albums every year? Every year. So we run, <laughs> we write a new plot. That's the emceeing is all around a plot. We write a new plot but every the, year. We get some new acts every year. But the Beatles, the music the stays the same. <laughs> no, no, Abbey the only Road. Thing, no, they do three encore songs. Okay. Every year that are different, and now, twelve years they've done thirty-six different encore oh, songs. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow. All Beatles songs, or yep, and it, no, just like solo Lennon songs. Man. No uh, yeah, they do solo. They do the solo songs. Okay, especially since they we have a string section and a horn section, so they want those encore songs to have the but, string yeah, section yeah. and the horn section. Yeah. Those songs are a little harder to find. Feel like Eleanor Rigby is going to get played a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they've didn't done that once. The rowdier <laughs> songs, Savoy Truffle. Some of these songs. I would love to see a show that where the album is different every time. It seems like to be more of a challenge. You know, maybe Dark Side of the Moon or, you know. Yeah. He's doing hot legs. <laughs> I want to do a circus based on Captain Bog and Salty's music, who you don't even know. No. Yeah, they're the best kids rock band ever Is that, from uh, Portland. The people who wrote Baby Shark, 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 Baby? No. Okay, all right. It's <laughs> the only kid song you know. <laughs> what about that album? Do you want to write circus routines too? Oh, they just have a brilliant songbook. And it'd be fun to do a pirate circus, right? They had a whole world in their heads when they wrote the song, so it'd be easy to write a book around it. Absolutely. Yeah. So in Portland, is the audience supportive of independent shows like the White Album Christmas or maybe something that's not specific to Christmas, but just variety shows in general? Do people come out for it? Well, that White Album Christmas, we've sold out ever since the start, mm-hmm. 12 years ago, actually. So sells out before we open, but that's the people are hip to that being. That's the awesome exception. Show. We have yeah. a we have a we have supportive audiences, but it's still hard to fill houses. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. What about the clowns without border shows? Those those fill up, right? We, we fill them up. Yeah. Last year we sold out the matinee and did not sell out the evening, although it was pretty full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because we came down here for the day and we've interviewed six different people. We've left a lot of people out. Yeah. And we don't have that sort of access in Seattle to the the variety, multiple variety, working variety artists like we really? do here. Yeah. No, that's Oh, so I much. thought the scene was about equal. But there's not, there's not a lot of people who would work variety arts professionally in Seattle. I mean, yeah. We were talking about today, maybe seven. You know? Yeah. The, the amount of people with a day job is staggering more well, than that's you normal in portland too oh really yeah all the acrobats and aerial people have day jobs mm, no. even the top people so if you're like us and you have your own 45 minute hour long entertain the audience all by yourself show mm-hmm. then you have at least a possibility of making a living right yeah and then if you have enough business sense to go into a few different legs you know like you've worked the fairs you've worked this you, you cruise ships mm. then you you put together a living but it's, it's not easy in america you know yeah 
Yeah. Although I do like how you refer to it as an all by yourself show. <laughs> I think that's how I'm going to start calling, yeah. calling it. It's an all by myself show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's a cry, yeah. It's a cry to myself. And, and I think that speaks to a yeah. number of different levels on what we do for a living. This is uh, my all by myself show, and uh, my pants are tight, so I think you can see why. Yes, it's an all by myself after show. It's all by myself to the show, and uh, all by myself celebratory drink or. <laughs> Sorrow drink uh, after the show. Here's a few <laughs> nerdy jokes for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, you have an hour-long show that you do. I've seen you do cabaret characters. I've seen you juggle waste baskets. I've seen you do a lasso of beer cans. I've seen you work with ensembles. You are a jack-of-all-trades. I mean, do you have one that you prefer in an oh, ideal I love, world? I love those theater shows, the White Arm Christmas. The Moisture ensemble Festival, stuff. Yeah. I love traveling to Europe. Those are super fun. The burlesque scene here in Portland is really fun. It pays crap, but it's it's fun. Well, because down here you have Dante's, which is kind of a... Weekly. Yeah. Dante's has been hiring uh, circus artists and burlesque every Sunday night for 18 years. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's why I have 80 strippers among my Facebook friends. <laughs> But that's, that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely yeah. because of the show. <laughs> I've explained this to my wife over and over again. <laughs> definitely just because <laughs> of Dante's. <laughs> Dante's has ruined so many marriages. And it's it's but, it's not a strip club, but it's owned by the same people who own the artistic strip club across the street. And if you go and most up, the dancers are also. Strip strippers gotcha. so the whole yeah. scene is intermeshed and in yeah. the Dante's isn't if you like don't turn right and you go up the stairs you're at a strip club too right yep okay that's about right I think that's all directions in Portland and it's <laughs> it's third and Burnside which is kind of in every city the homeless and problems yeah. tend to kind of drain down to the lowest level sewer and that's like third and Burnside yeah 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 Dante's has more than just a Sunday night variety show right yeah, people self-produce shows other nights a week, and they put on rock bands. I've seen Wanda Jackson there. Oh, okay. cool. I've seen Junior Brown. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. That's amazing. What is, what's next for you? Like, what, what do you want to do? What's, what is uh, Leaping Louie, what does it look like five years from now? Well, I've got two slow-moving projects. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to write a new clown show that'll do Europe again. And then I'm writing a... I'm writing probably multiple biology educational shows. Explain that, please. I'm obsessed with teaching the history of evolutionary life on Earth and how complicated and long it is in a show. So we're going to have to get into puppetry. Got to bring in the puppets. <laughs> going to have to have animal puppets. And like uh, the first thing I'm going to manufacture, I want to make a, a giant nudibranch. You know, no, no, I don't know what that is. Look it up, people. I know. Nudibranchs. You need to submit the words that you're going to be yeah. using that we yeah. can use yeah. up okay. ahead of time. So there's about 5,000 species of mammals. Like that's including bats, mice, squirrels, right? And there's 3,500 species of nudibranchs, which are part of the sea slug family. Ah. And they are the most colorful critters on Earth. They're just the most bright 
neon colors you can imagine. They have amazing sex lives. Uh, so all nudibranchs are male and female, ooh, yeah. and yet they cannot self-fertilize. They look for any other nudibranch, and then they both go away pregnant. Yeah, Talk yeah. about efficiency. Yeah, no. And then there's all kinds of weird variations of corkscrew penises. Mm. And, yeah, no, I'm uh, a regular watcher of leopard slug sex. Yeah, no, definitely. we've talked about this many yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I have single-handedly upped the views in YouTube. Yeah. So I, I'm going to make this, it'll be the strolling uh, physical component. So it's a giant nudibranch that I can ride. And then behind it will be a five and a half meter slime line of life on earth mm. and it's 550 million years of multicellular life on earth where every million years is a centimeter oh. boom, 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 boom. and then you can see like and here you know is the first apes that's like the last two centimeters and yeah, then yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all just but newton yeah. breaks have been here forever <laughs> now yeah. would this be presented by leap and louie or a different character you're I like Nudibranch, Captain Nudibranch. I think I'm gonna. I I think my characters tend to always be exaggerated versions of me, and I think I'm pretty invested in the Leap and Louie brands. So I think I'll just change the character and still call it Leap and Louie. Now, how yeah. much of that show is going to be Willy Wonka? <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I was thinking Doctor Doolittle. Oh, <laughs> Doctor Doolittle wrote the snail. <laughs> Did your interest in Nudibranchs cause? Your son is interested in spiders. My and, son yeah. is about to get a PhD in evolutionary ecology, biology. Yeah. And yeah. you went down to the Amazon and, and I've been, studied spiders. I've been with deep him. into the Amazon with him twice, helping him with his studies. So we're studying spiders and spider behavior. Uh-huh. We are even supposedly finding characteristics of personality in spiders. Wow. Yeah. They're like, that tarantula Larry likes to drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The little jumping spider's a dick. <laughs> yeah. Well, all jumping spiders are dicks, okay. Matt. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're fun at parties unless, like, you're smaller and turn your back. <laughs> okay, so you, you went down, and so he's finding all sorts of crazy results, right? Like, Yeah, he's, he's doing great, and... Uh, it's very different than my father-son <laughs> bonding experiences that I had. Yeah, he's having a hard year, actually. But he's getting his PhD, and he's got a, uh, he's got a postdoc job in Yale. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. I know. All that so ha- here, hammering the news brink in. You're like you're like the immigrant family that that you know opens the corner store and works to put their kids through college, and now the kids, no one's around to take over the Leap and Louie brand. Oh. I, he's like uh, 27. I'm still sending him money, <laughs> but uh, you're, you're the PhD. No, he he, he he was a heart patient, mm. uh, so he had his first open heart surgery at five days, and then three months. And then thirteen, Jeez, and uh, scary stuff. So yeah. they want to do an open heart surgery again and change out his uh, most two important valves. Uh, the aortic are they are they failing? Uh, they are slowly failing. Oh man! And so, and he had a surgery scheduled in August, and we all changed our lives to go be down there in yeah. L.A. UCLA Medical Center, and he caught a. Fungal pneumonia in oh. the Amazon. 
And so they couldn't do the surgery. And now he's been on these super strong drugs to fight the fungal pneumonia for six months. And they affect his memory. They affect his emotions. Jeez. They have really strong side effects. And then he's trying to get through his last year PhD and get a job for next year. And then now his advisor professor is in a huge scandal. Oh, no. Because, Jeez. because he apparently faked data. Oh, yeah. Uh, and oh, James yeah. has would not get scientists, oh, man. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse yeah. if you're a scientist. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so James is retracting four of his published papers that had his advisor's data in it. Oh. oh. Brutal, man. <laughs> All this stuff going on at once. Yeah, that's rough. And then he lays all those problems on you. You're like, I got to figure out how to build this parrot puppet. Got <laughs> <laughs> a nudibranch. <laughs> I had this great Dad, idea. I don't care about nudibranch sex. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. Wow. That's really well. Hopefully, is he back in the United States now? Yeah, he's uh, he's been living in Santa Barbara, so he's he's been. Uh, his professor was actually a genius and got them lots of grant money. So he went to yeah, Africa. Yeah, data. <laughs> he went to Africa twice. He went to, to uh, the Amazon three times. Yeah. yeah. And are spy, like, did he t- t- study spiders or just? Yeah, he's studying behavior of social animals using social spiders. Okay. <laughs> did he come up with that himself? <laughs> did he come up, or was that like uh, a pre-existing study? His pro- his professor was already doing similar things. Few other people were already doing similar things. But his professor was faking data, so he was- <laughs> <laughs> nobody was studying. Trust me, ninety eight percent of spiders are super social. <laughs> they always pay for drinks. Well, that's what we were researching: social spiders. So we're walking around these paths in the Amazon, looking for car sized uh, spider webs that have. Thousands of spiders sharing a web. Oh, gotcha. Oh. Yeah, not single spiders in a web. Community of spiders on yeah, the web. And if yeah, and you find somebody's faking data, you throw it <laughs> yeah. into the web. They got those little plastic black spiders <laughs> are throwing up there. <laughs> so you continue to work in Europe. Is there a country that you love performing and that you might have a weird story about? When I was a young man, I took the one-way plane ticket to Paris with not very much money, $600. And the one-way ticket was in October. Mm-hmm. That was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing shows in Paris in the middle of the winter, and it's terrible. And so I got a one-way ticket to Morocco, to Marrakesh. Yeah. And I go out there and start... There's a place in Marrakesh, Place de Jama Fanal, it's filled with street performers. And uh, went out and started doing my thing and... There's like 300 people in no time, but they're squeezing in on me so tight and I'm trying to push them back to get room enough to juggle. And this old man stops me and goes, no, 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 you can't come with me. And so I follow him and come with me. And I don't know if he's police or what. Yeah. turns out he's the grandfather of the, of the like chief acrobat troop mm-hmm. in the square. Oh, wow. So there's, I spent a couple weeks in Marrakesh doing shows with them every day. And every time I did my thing, there would be four musicians backing me up. And they would pass the hat for quite a while before and after. Wow. They were a seven-person troupe. They were the kings of the square. They did about an hour-long show. Wow. And uh, they would pray to the gods for uh, 
money. You have to you have to always thank Mohammed and that mm. culture for your mm-hmm. for your donations. But then if they got a shitty coin, they'd be like, "Of <laughs> yours," you know, joke too. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, because wow. they, they had humor too. Well, we interviewed Charlie Brown, and he told a story about performing in Marrakesh and like inciting a riot. Almost yeah. like the sort of amount of people that were trying to watch him and getting pushback and you know. yeah. You definitely aren't struggling to get people to come in closer. Uh, I was in Europe back in those days, a little bit later than that Morocco trip. But before his Morocco trip, I was in Alhambra Palace in Granada. Mm. And I stopped to visit and I turned around and there was Charlie Brown. <laughs> and I didn't know he was in Europe and he didn't know I was in Europe. And you guys knew each other from and here. I, yeah, from Golden Gate Park in San Francisco. <laughs> and so I tapped him on the shoulder and uh, we were both headed to that European jugglers convention that was run by German squatters in the very far south of Spain, where we did our public show in a prison. <laughs> nice. Yes. And they let a whole bus of hippie jugglers into the prison. Yeah. Was that the last time you ever performed in a prison? I did a, a woman's prison in Sicily. Oh. That was the complete opposite. Sounds Very like... dark, locked down place. And in Sicily, How did, there on. was no recreational facilities whatsoever. And we were, it was like a stone cement prison, like from movies from 40 years ago uh-huh. with the iron bars. And we performed at the end of the corridor. And they just set up chairs in the corridors. And then there was a few women who weren't allowed out of their cells. And they just stuck their heads through the bars (laughs) watching us. How did you book that gig? There was this festival in Sicily that I did for four years. This uh, Sicilian clown in Paris ran it for many years. And they always got side gigs. And sometimes they were theater shows in the center of these beautiful small towns. And that time... Some we did a festival of jazz a couple times. Oh, wow. I was there, and uh, that time it was in the women's prison of Messina, Sicily, <laughs> and it was a scary place. And that's how I met my first wife <laughs> and my second wife. <laughs> and it was that thing of like we're like 27 and we go up on stage in shorts and uh, tight shirts in the hall crowd it's like wow oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you've done it all you lived it all i just watched a little documentary you did called that is the life for me i'll have to look that up (laughs) (laughs) produced by a fool's idea oh okay yeah you didn't even know the title what is it about it's a documentary on leaf and louis yeah yeah, the, the, uh, there's also a uh, I was o- g- OPB Portland uh, one on me, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do they have better hard-hitting questions than we have? Yeah, they're professional, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't call you to a hotel room in the middle of the night? <laughs> With flying saucers. So <laughs> aren't you guys supposed to ask me about the Moisture Festival or anything? We, we talked about that. Did we? Okay, yeah. I missed that part. How did you come <laughs> to perform at the Moisture Festival? Well, you know, one thing I don't do as good when I'm doing these Clowns Without Borders benefit shows, when I did the Umbrella Festivals, I don't create community like those people do. Yeah. I have lots of friends, but like Ron, Bailey, and Tim, and those guys, 
they just create community. It's pretty amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's... What do you think that is? That's a kind of oak community is kind of at the core of the... Do you think that's personality? Do you think it's a generation difference? Do you think it's a... They always know. shared their art as a group. They None of them ever had a commercial bone in their body. They mm. just wanted to put their art out. They always saw it as a group thing. Uh, always as a family thing. You know how the Ducanovo show at Country Fair... There's all these performers and all these performers' children who yeah. are like equal powerhouses yeah. doing the show together. Yeah, we've had Kayla Bailey. We interviewed Kayla Bailey. Yeah. It's kind of cool to see her yeah. progression. Yeah. Did you ask the the gutter queen yeah. about the gospel? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. We, oh, yeah. <laughs> we got preached to. We got preached to. You know, <laughs> writing these songs that sound like soul hits, and now, you but grew, they're original songs. You grew up in Eugene. Did you grow up going to the Oregon Country Fair and seeing those acts? Yeah, not so early. I wasn't quite hip. Same so, with me. Yeah, yeah, not until like late high school. Okay. Yeah. and uh, But then I was amazed. And it was, of course, the nudity and the drugs that freaked me out uh-huh. at first. But I, well, I did go to the early versions of the Chumley stage, yeah. whatever it was called, yeah. and saw the Flying K's and Avner the Eccentric and Arsa Spoonman and, uh, I mean, and to, Baby Gramps and I mean, all that. To see that at that yeah. age and to see that it's accepted and people are making their living doing these sort of things, I mean, that probably made a pretty big impression on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> all those people were, they're all originals yeah who just they didn't copy it their thing from anything yeah i I feel very lucky to have grown up in a town that that festival was within reaching distance i mean within a five minute drive of where i grew up and Mm -hmm. to see these shows find karamazovs are suspooman like you're saying from the age of 13 i mean we even interviewed reese and charlie i mean i watched them when i was 16 17 years old yeah and to be able to now live in seattle where they come up and it's sort of an extension of that festival. Yeah. Every fourth year I skip the Oregon Country Fair and I tell people it's because I got a paying gig, but really it's because I get tired of people coming up to me and going, oh, I've been watching your show (laughs) since I was a small child and they're in their f***ing 30s. I wasn't a small child when I first saw you. Yeah. I was an impressionable young 20-year-old. <laughs> no, but I have. I, I've, been, I've been watching you a long time, and it's always inspiring to watch you because you're always doing different stuff. You're always implementing new characters. You're always like trying new stuff, and it's always fun to watch you just play and have a good time, and the audience is always responsive to that, and it's, it's nice to see, man. Well, you guys are better joke writers. I'm jealous of that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else we're missing? Like something you want to promote? Or... My, my website's comedytricks.com. Yeah. And, you, and uh, you can learn about the cloudswithoutborders.org. Learn about Clouds yeah. Without Borders. Cool stuff. And uh, yeah, long live the Moisture Festival. Yeah. And there's tons of videos of you on your site, comedytricks.com. There's even a thing called Louie Tube. Ooh. Which is he? He trademarked, yeah, he trademarked that. that Louis, Louis, man. <laughs> Can't do that now. And there's a video <laughs> that I'm dying to click on because it's been up. It says "Leaping Louis Cowboy Comedy in Dubai." Oh, it looks good. I've watched yeah. that. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's my main outdoor promo now. Actually. Okay, yeah, so that's you uh, out on the sands yeah. of Dubai, cracking whips, 
scaring people. Yeah, out on the, you know, brand new 50-story skyscraper sidewalks. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for sitting in our hotel room for a little bit. Yes. Yeah, and taking yeah. time out of your night. I know you, you got a lot of stuff. the center of Portland. The yeah. Portland, the Moisture Portland. Festival Studio Annex. Room 219. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Portland <laughs> Moisture Festival City Annex. All right. Well, thank you, David, man. I really appreciate it. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that's it for today. Just a quick few plugs. Of course, go to moisturefestival.org for all things Moisture Festival. You, they also have a Facebook page, an Instagram, and a YouTube that you can sign up for. And you can get all the information if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, or if you want to fill out the questionnaire to be considered as a performer as well. You can do that all on their site. If you want to find out more information about Louie and I, you can find Louie at louiefox.com. That's with two X's. Yes, and you can find Matt at comedy stuntshow.com you can also check out the podcast that matt and i do called the odd and offbeat podcast at odd and or on itunes stitcher pocket cast all that jazz if you like weird and unusual news stories that's where you need to go because the odd and offbeat podcast is all things weird yes so check that out if you like this podcast you will love our podcasts so be sure to check that out so we want to thank our guests for today. That was a lot of fun. And and we want to thank all the donors and volunteers and performers that make the Moisture Fest happen as well. Without yeah. them, we wouldn't be here talking to them. Absolutely. So get your little slice of Moisture Festival at moisturefestival.org. And thanks so much for listening, folks. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.